We're, uh, we're studying uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, now we're up to verse 8. Uh, the permanence uh, of love. Uh, we Last week we looked at what love does, now the fact that love uh, is enduring. We have it in this life, but we also have it in the life to come. It's a part of our nature. Okay, uh, love never fails, verse 8. Uh, a lot of this about love is misinterpreted by people. They uh, add more to it than what the Lord intended. They uh, twist it somewhat, the meaning of it. But uh, that's that's a shame. Uh, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Uh, there'll there'll be a time when there cease to be prophecies. Uh, they're unnecessary, and they'll be done away with. Uh, Paul's talking about in uh, just the future. Prophecy only uh, is only valid until it's fulfilled, and then it's over. And uh, there comes a time when there won't be prophecies at all, which, from his point of view, he's speaking. The tongues, well, they're going to cease too. They were signs for unbelievers to convince them that uh, the Lord was with these people. Well, you're not going to need it anymore. Uh, we know when uh, when the law is fulfilled. Whether there is knowledge, uh, it's going to vanish away. He's talking about special knowledge, the gift of knowledge. He's talking about the gifts. Uh, people craved the gifts. And, and the point he's making is uh, there's no reason to crave the gifts. They're, they're short time. They're going to be done away with. The only thing that's going to last is love. Rather than sitting around trying to... Uh, talk the Lord into giving you these gifts, uh, focus on learning to love. That's, that's what's going to get you through. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, uh, the, the scriptures are being revealed, here a little, there a little. It's the way it's always been, and that's the way it was, of course, uh, in the New Testament church. Uh, the Lord didn't dump the whole load on them at one time. They couldn't have handled it. So they get a little here, a little there. He built them up to it. There's a transition period. I don't know how long it was. Nobody does. But there was a transition period where people had um, time to digest what they were learning. Okay? Uh, it's, like, it's like us. It's the way we teach in uh, Bible classes. Over in our Bible classes right now, the little classes, they're getting a little of this and a little of that. And every year they get a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Well, that's the way the, the New Testament was revealed, a little at a time. And one day he's saying there's, it's going to be the time when the last information that needs to be revealed is going to be revealed. Well, what do you need with the gifts? You, know, you don't need the gifts anymore. The, what they were intended to do, they've done. And now they're going to be done away with. So why are you coveting these things? They're short-timers. Uh, spend your time developing something that's going to endure, something that's going to last. What, when that which is perfect has come, the complete revelation of the Lord, when the full New Testament has been revealed to mankind, then that which is in part, the gifts, well, they're going to be done away with. Uh, he goes, well, not here, but other places, Ephesians 4, uh, when Paul wrote to the Ephesians, 
uh, he spoke about a similar matter. Uh, Jesus, the Lord himself gave some gifts, some people rather, uh, some people he made apostles, some he made prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints in order to make the church complete, the congregation. Uh, he gave uh, gifts that were needed in order to make a particular congregation uh, complete, where they would be uh, self-sufficient. Churches of Christ are autonomous entities. Uh, each church uh, is self-governing. Each church has its own government. Well, before a church can stand on its own two feet, so to speak, it's going to have to know something about the revelation of God. So uh, he gave these gifts to people to make churches complete, to equip the saints, give them what they need for the work of ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of the Christ. Well, let's go back and think about that a little bit more. Uh, the purpose of uh, these various roles, Bible teachers, uh, elders, whatever, uh, was to equip, supply the saints with what they need in order to, for, to this end, the work of ministry. My job is to teach you how to minister to other people. Uh, you listen to me and uh, you digest the knowledge and then you pass it on. There's a reason why this is going on. It's not just so we can be here. Uh, there's a, an aim or a goal that is intended by all this and that is to equip each person to go out and fulfill their own ministry for the edifying and the building up of the body of Christ to make the church strong, spiritually strong. Uh, that's the obligation of people who have uh, these particular roles in the church of Christ. Uh, there's, a, there's a reason. Uh, a lot of churches today, people like because of the entertainment value of the church. Ronald said something uh, Wednesday that really uh, hit home with me. And he was talking about uh, somebody going to uh, one of these uh, very charismatic churches, probably that one up in Cookville, I forgot what it's called. But uh, they went up there and uh, he asked them why, uh, why they went there. And they said, because they feel so spiritual. And then he said, they're trying to, to be spiritual by doing things that are not spiritual. And that, that's true. Um, teaching and preaching and all that stuff, it's really, you know, boring. It, you know, puts people to sleep and everything else. Uh, a lot of people find it very tedious, hard to sit through and listen to. Uh, we're used to... We're used to visual aids and all that stuff. Um, and a lot of people, they, it's, it's drudgery to sit through a service like this. But then you go to one of these especially charismatic places, and what they do is, you know, they have the lights and they have the orchestra and uh, the choir and the various uh, uh, singers, and uh, they, they 
put on a show, so to speak, because that's what they do. They put on a show. And uh, people uh, are moved by it. Uh, it's like uh, people like country music. Uh, my mother was a great fan of country music. And uh, whenever the song came on that she liked, she started swaying, tapping her foot. Go on with that music. Felt good. Felt spiritual, you know. If you if you do it in a church setting, you can interpret that as being uh, as feeling spiritual. But that's not what it is. That's carnal emotions. That's lusts that are reacting uh, to the beat of the music or the enjoyment of the music. It's not, a, it's not a spiritual thing that's happening. It's actually a physical thing that's happening. Why? Because nothing spiritual is happening. In order to become spiritual, you have to engage in spiritual things. And according to the Word of God, the spiritual thing that should make us sway and tap our foot would be, for one, would be the Word of God itself uh, coming to uh, new knowledge or greater understanding. Uh, that should be what excites a person. But, uh, you know, we're, we're given to uh, the lusts of the flesh, and we, we have to battle it. And a lot of people don't battle. They just go with the flow, more or less. Uh, and in the end, uh, they'll have nothing to show. They'll be no more spiritual in 20 years than they are today. Why? Because nothing spiritual ever happened. Just because there's a lot of songs being sung and they mention Jesus or God every now and then, that does not make a person spiritual. You've got to have that which is spiritual, food for the soul, so to speak. And that's what the Word of God is. It's food for the soul. That's how we grow. And this is what Paul's talking about. God appointed certain people in the church for this very purpose, to equip the saints, to, to embolden the saints, to build them up to greater spiritual heights than they previously were. When that is either misunderstood or rejected, There'll be a day of the judgment. And when it happens, there's going to be a lot of spiritual people standing before the Lord who are going to be turned away. Why? Because they're not really spiritual people. There's only one way to accomplish that, and that's the digestion of the Word of God. It actually builds us up. I used to read all this uh, when younger, and... Uh, in the Bible, I'd read about all these building up and all that. And to be honest with you, I didn't understand it because uh, I, I didn't feel like I was really growing spiritually stronger at all. Uh, I was reading and I was studying and I was trying to understand. And for all my labor, uh, I didn't seem to really accomplish much. Uh, but I went on and on and on, and then, then finally uh, I could see where uh, things were now making sense to me. 
I could tell the difference. I could feel the difference uh, in myself and my understanding. It's like when you're a child uh, and you go to kindergarten and, uh, you know, you play. That's what I used to like to do. And then you go to the first grade and they make you start doing a little studying. And you do those silly things they want you to do uh, day after day after day, and you wonder, you know, why are we having to do this? And, you know, there's nothing good coming out of it. And then the second grade, the third grade, and it makes no sense at all. Sooner or later, the child reaches a grade where things start making sense. They start pulling it together. They start seeing how this leads to this. They start understanding how the environment works, for example, whatever their favorite study is. Um, eventually, they can see the value of all that tedious labor they were engaged in. That's the way it was for me in learning the scriptures. It used to be very tedious because I didn't understand. Uh, I didn't understand anything, really. And uh, 10,000 times you think about quitting because it's getting me nowhere. I'm reading about building up, but there's no building up going on in my life. And you start wondering, you know, what's the use? Well, you have to, you have to hang in there. You have to hang in there, and then uh, things come together. However, in order for us to grow that way, there has to be education. And that's the tedious part. That's what so many people don't like to do. I was... Uh, I seen on the news this morning, uh, Harvard University, it's supposed to be a good school. That's debatable. But uh, anyway, Harvard University uh, is now being sued because they are racists. And the reason they're racists uh, is because they require a 200-word essay before you can be granted admission to that school. They said it's not fair because that's too hard. And it's, uh, it's sliding minority groups for, I don't know how, but it does, they say. A 200, your bulletin, that I, the part that I write each week is 700 words. It takes a while to write it, no doubt, but it's 700 words. It has to be done every week. These kids wanting to get into Harvard are upset because they have to write a 200-word essay. They don't enjoy the learning process. They don't enjoy gaining knowledge. That's not really what they're looking for. And it's, it's, it's so sad. And that's the way it is in religion. Uh, the educational part could be very tedious. And uh, I always look for ways to try to make learning better, not more fun, but better. Anyway, that's the reason people like me are doing this. Uh, th this is to happen till we all come to the unity of the faith, the faith, 
the same, uh, we're united in Christ through God's word. We come to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, that is the church, to be perfect, complete, whole, entire, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of the Christ, that we would be Christ-like as a congregation. He's talking about congregational growth. Of course, it's also true about individual growth, but that the church would function like a well-oiled machine, like a human body. The church would function in the same way but as the body of Christ. Uh, the comparison between the human body and the body of Christ, don't let that escape your attention because that's a, a simple way to learn a very difficult lesson. And every member of my body has a role to play. Uh, some of them are there to make me hurt, <laughs> but everything has a role to play. The church is supposed to be the same way. Every person is supposed to have a role to play. And if we don't have a role to play, we'll be amputated because we're useless. We slow down the body of Christ. We hurt the body of Christ because there's no added value to us. <clears throat> we're not doing our part. Uh, and it has to be cast off and done away with. It, it's so easy to me to understand the connection between the body of Christ and our human body. Uh, don't let that escape your attention, though. Uh, we grow to a full person that will no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickier of men, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Uh, several years back, Bill and I were eating uh, I don't know, breakfast or lunch, I don't remember, Bill Dudney and I. Uh, we were eating in a, he called it the hole in the wall in Gainesboro. I don't know what the name of it was, I just called it the hole in the wall. Um, and a, a, a preacher come in He'd been preaching uh, longer than me. Uh, by the time I started preaching, he'd done holding meetings and everything. Uh, but he come over to me and Bill, and he was telling us that you know he was really disturbed. There's a preacher down in uh, Texas who uh, who has uh, shown that it's okay to use instrumental music, and he was uh, he was in, in a turmoil because all these years he thought it was wrong to use mechanical music. And now, after listening to this preacher in Texas, uh, he was confident that using mechanical music was okay. And uh, he just, he was, he was torn between the two. This is what Paul's talking about right here, that that shouldn't happen to us anymore, that we're, we're so grounded in our knowledge that though uh, a very, very good talker might seem to make a convincing argument, we know the truth about the matter. We've, uh, we've seen it. We've tasted it. We've digested it. And even though this guy is a really, really good talker and can, and can sell ice cubes to an Eskimo, uh, 
He won't touch us because we're standing on solid ground. Uh, the preacher wasn't. He failed to uh, digest the information. And when something come up that contradicted what he felt was right, he just fell apart. And he's supposed to be holding the church together. And he just, he just fell apart. I think he was on the verge of uh, <laughs> saying that mechanical music was okay. And uh, we convinced him that that wasn't the case. But instead of falling apart, speaking the truth of God in love. In, you know, when you think about love, uh, when, when, I, when, I, when I teach, uh, if, if I teach in love, the first love I have is the Lord. I love him, and because I love him, I love his word. And I don't want to embarrass him or make him ashamed. Because sometimes when you teach the truth, you know it's going to be painful to some people. You know that going in. And it'd be much easier to either avoid the subject or to twist the truth a little bit. But if you speak the truth in love, because you love the Lord, you can't do it. You can't do it. You've got to teach what you've got to teach, and you can't twist it. You've got to present it as simplistic as you possibly can. So when you, when you speak the truth in love, you have love for God. You have a love for the person you're talking to. I've been tempted on several occasions uh, to turn my head for people who were living in adultery. The most painful thing I ever deal with, ever, is uh, people living in adultery because it's a horrible, horrible situation. You have people who, who, who married someone and they weren't able to be married, not by God. And they've been married for 10 years, and now they got two kids, and they want to know what the truth is about living in adultery. I don't want to tell them. I don't want, I don't want to tell them because I know it's going to rip the heart out and I'll stomp on it. And it pains me when somebody asks me that question. I'd rather pass it off to Michael or Ronald, let them answer it, because I don't want to have to do it. But if I speak the truth in love, I love the Lord, and if I love the people I'm talking to who are going to lose their souls as they are, and I know it, if I speak the truth in love, I've got to tell them the truth. I know it's going to break their heart. I know it's going to break their heart. And I really love these people. 
and I'm going to be the, the, the worst thing that happened in their lifetime. But if you truly love a person, you have to, as kindly and gently as possible, speak the truth. Because I know these two beautiful people are on the wrong course. And they don't want to be on the wrong course. And they don't know what to do. Oh, gee, it's so hard. When you speak the truth in love, you, you love the people you're talking to. When you speak the truth in love, you, you love the truth. I don't like to break people's hearts who are living in adultery. But I know the truth about adultery is the best possible rule to follow. No better rule at all. And I know that in the day of judgment, regardless of what we want, it's going to be standing there judging adulterers. Sometimes I don't like preaching. Because sometimes it's just too hard. But you speak the truth in love, love for the church, love for you, love for all of our children. They've got to know the truth. And the best time to teach them the truth is right now, before the hard days come. That's what uh, Solomon said, wasn't it? In the book, book of Ecclesiastes, Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. <clears throat> the time to teach is right now. It's, uh, it's very hard. The older I get, the harder it gets. Speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head of the church, his body, and that is, of course, our beloved Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be all he wants us to be. Now, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought like a child. That's what I was talking about a few minutes ago. Uh, when we're kids, little here, little there, little here, little there, we gradually develop. That's what Paul's talking about. He did that too. Everybody does that. But when I became a man, I no longer needed those childish things the toys and the learning box and all the other stuff. I didn't need that stuff anymore. Now, man, I've, I've got knowledge and understanding. I don't have to use a childish building box to help me uh, become established. I put those things away. Save that for my kids. But now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we see face to face. Uh, the looking glasses they had, a lot of the times what they were were uh, polished metals 
the best would have been, of course, stainless steel. Uh, they polished it as fine as they could, and uh, they would look in there and they would see their face. But you know, seeing your face through shiny metal is better than nothing, but it's not the best thing of all. Uh, and this is what Paul's saying. Uh, as a child, he, he could see and understand himself like looking through a polished metal, but then when the fullness of Christ has come, uh, it's like seeing him face to face, uh, clearly, uh, seeing seeing everything about the, the magnificent Jesus. Right now, he said, I know in part. I know some, but I don't know all. But then I shall know just as I also am known. His knowledge of, of all things uh, will grow and develop. He'll never know or understand all things. None of us will. And that's something we just have to live with. Where did Cain get his wife? There's no answer to that question. There's a few possible suggestions a person might make. I don't know where Cain got his wife. God didn't tell us. So the answer is really simple. I don't know. Uh, and if it's important to me, I'm sure once we, we, we go to be with the Lord, uh, somebody up here is going to understand where Cain got his wife. We won't be able to ask him, but maybe we could ask Abel. Hey, where would your brother get his wife? Uh, now I know in part, then I should know just as I also am known. But now abides uh, faith, hope, and love, these three. Uh, these are the things that last. These are the things that matter. Uh, faith is the knowledge acquired through the Word of God, Romans ten seventeen. Uh, we, we acquire this knowledge, we develop faith between uh, digesting God's word and living it in our lives. Uh, we grow spiritually stronger in faith. And because we grow spiritually stronger in faith, our belief in the things that are to come, our belief in the protection of God that he's always with us, as this faith grows, our hope grows. It's only natural, isn't it? The more faith the person has, the greater hope they entertain. Some people, they say they don't have much hope. They, they, they have a lot of doubt, but not much hope. That's due to a lack of knowledge and understanding. It may be justified. A person may be justified in having little knowledge because they've had little time and opportunity. That's not a problem. But because they do have little faith, they have little hope also. They really, really want to go to heaven. They hope, they hope they'll go to heaven. But they're not really as confident as they could be if they had greater faith. There must be faith. And then there's hope. Because my faith is strong, my hope becomes strong. And then there's love. Then there's agape. Uh, this is uh, what we learn. We develop in our lives. We choose to do what we choose to do. That's why in marriage, for example, uh, what did Johnny Cash used to say? We got married in a fever, hotter than a pepper sprout. Uh, he was in love, and he got married. 
some interpret that as, as love. It may be, it may very well be agape love. But agape love is really something quite different. I made a commitment to my BR and I'm gonna keep that commitment. That's, that's love. That's something that we can do. If people say I fall out of love and I gotta get a divorce. Fall out of love, that's a decision, that's a choice you make. I don't want to be committed anymore and therefore I wanna get a divorce. It's always a choice. I don't want to talk about that. But the greatest of these is love. Of course, love goes into eternity with us. Faith and hope, uh, I don't suppose, will be there. That brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, the church at Corinth is accused of being worldly, opinionated, selfish, cliquish, envious, jealous, divisive, argumentative, arrogant, disorderly, defrauding, inconsiderate, gluttonous, immoral, and desecrators of the Lord's Supper. Those are some of the things I found about the church at Corinth in this particular letter in the Second Corinthians. Uh, these were the sins they were guilty of that was prominent in the church. And this is uh, the, the various matters Paul is addressing. A brief outline of chapter 14, Paul teaches three basic truths about the gifts of tongues. Number one, they were secondary to prophecy. Prophecy is greater than tongues. Number two, they were assigned to unbelievers. Uh, believers don't need signs. Why? Because they're believers. <laughs> a believer doesn't need a sign. But somebody who is not a believer, they need a sign in order to help them believe. God supplied, well, talk about tongues, let's say foreign languages, because that's actually what it was. Uh, he gave the gift of a foreign language to a person who was unlearned in it. Uh, and it was for the purpose of uh, convincing the unbelievers that the teacher was a man of God. And then thirdly, their pr procedure was systematic and orderly. I don't know if you've ever went to a service where they have tongue speaking. I've been to them. Uh, the ones I've seen uh, are very disorderly. Uh, people just up and, and start shouting and carrying on, jabbering. They don't say anything but uh, they're supposed to be saying everything. Uh, it's a very confusing thing to sit in. Uh, a woman I worked with one time, <laughs> she uh, was having marital problems and she w went to one of these church services with a friend of hers. She was looking for a miracle really. And uh, they started all this tongues and jabbering and all that stuff. And the preacher stood up and hollered, looking for a sinner, looking for a sinner. And he moved in and out of the crowd in his tent. And uh, he came up to her and he said, the devil is in you. <laughs> and she, 
She said, in me? <laughs> he had her tore all to pieces. And she said, it was the craziest thing I ever went to. I was scared to death. Uh, the people speaking in foreign languages at Corinth, they didn't act like that. They didn't act like nothing like that. It was very different. It was just like our service, except a person uh, from France uh, who only spoke French, they could come up here and they would be able to speak English to us. It's a, a miracle. And uh, we would see that. Ah, wow, this guy has a, the gift from God. Uh, but it was very uh, orderly. That's the point I want to make. It was very, very orderly. Uh, verses 1 through 19, uh, uh, the brief outline of this section, uh, three reasons why tongues are secondary to prophecy. Number one, prophecy builds up the whole congregation. Tongue, foreign languages don't do that. Number two, tongues, foreign languages are unintelligible. Man, that uh, if I started speaking French all of a sudden, what good would it do you? You wouldn't understand me unless you know French. So what's the value of it? Better off, I just sit down and hold my tongue. But uh, that's not what they were doing at Corinth. Number three, the effects are emotional rather than rational. Because you don't learn anything from me when I speak in French, uh, there's no value, so any benefit you may feel like you receive is going to be based on your emotions, not your intelligence. And most religion is emotional. It's not rational. That's why everybody, all these unbelievers, they think we're all nuts. Because when you talk to people, you know, why, why do you believe in, in uh, a man that lived 2,000 years ago? Because I do. It's faith. Well, why? Because I have faith. What does that mean? I have faith. I can't see him. If I could see him, it wouldn't be faith. I believe because I believe. And the, the unbeliever looks at you and they say, you're nuts. Why do you believe in something you have no evidence, no proof? That's a silly thing to do. But that's what most religion is. It's a silly thing to do because people have no reason for what they're doing other than emotional. And that, that would get us nowhere. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts. Pursue, to go after, to go after very determined to acquire love. Give it all you got. And yeah, you, you, might, you might want a gift, yeah. But the big deal isn't the gift, it's the love. What good is the gift if you don't have love? You could have a gift and lose your soul because you don't have love. If you have love and not a gift, you're not going to lose your soul because you don't have a gift. But if you have a gift and not love, you would lose your soul. Going after the wrong thing, irrational, illogical, foolish. It makes 
atheists out of people because they think we're nuts because we have no reason for what we do or believe. But especially the gift. If you're going to desire gifts, especially desire prophecy. At least that will do some good. Is it time for me to quit, honey? You want me to hush? Is it time for me to quit, son? Well, same to you, fella. We'll, uh, we'll stop here, and uh, Lord willing, we'll take up again next uh, Sunday.